1: Hey, and welcome to Mainstream by Sifter. My name is Adam. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. On Mainstream, the team behind Sifter.com.au discuss their experiences playing a variety of games. Everything from AAA titles, smaller micro games, retro re-releases. It's all covered here. And this week, we're kind of diving into the world of narrative fiction, which I'm really excited about. Gianni has been stepping through time and into a giant mech suit as part of 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, a game that originally came out in 2020 by Vanillaware on PlayStation 4, but is out now, finally, on another platform, the Nintendo Switch.
0: Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's the sort of game that actually suits the Switch really well, um, because you get you get to play it in lots of little chunks. Um, it's, it's definitely unlike anything I've played before, but there's a lot of stuff in there reminiscent of other genre pieces in science fiction, and... Um, We're going to rave about this game. It's really, really impressive and something different. Um, Can't wait for you to find out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. I played this one uh, last year on PlayStation and it was a blast. But before we get into that, let's find out what's making the news this week on Walkthrough.
0: This is Mainstream.
1: 13 Sentinels Aegis Room. It's a long title for a game that is quite perplexing at times. Gianni has been diving into this game. Gianni,
0: what is 13 Sentinels Aegis Room? It is part visual novel, part sort of point-and-click adventure game. Um, It's part real-time strategy game, almost more like a turn-based strategy. I think the real-time aspect of it is is sort of underplayed. Um, And it is a a big spanning story which um, goes across multiple different characters and perspectives. And as you work your way through uh, the game, you learn little pieces more um, about what this big, branching story is there's a bit of this it's twists galore I think is how we describe it it is just very interesting and like it's so such a compelling story that's being told the framing of it is basically when you start the game it's like many other anime you've seen. It's a high school drama. There are a bunch of different characters that you are talking to. You start off playing as a character called uh, Juro Karabe, um, who is talking to his classmates, finding out what's going on. He wants to work out whether he wants to go hang out and play video games with his friends or he's talking to the girls in his class. Um, all of this sort of stuff uh, starts to come together. But things very quickly start to not make sense or they start to be a little bit weird. Um, and that's where we're sort of introduced to the the world of... Um, the Sentinels, which appear in 1985 when this first part of the game is set. Um, and these giant robots drop in from nowhere, effectively. <laughs> they kind of bop, pop in and then all of a sudden you're in a robot battle. It does sound a little bit like Neon Genesis Evangelion, and I think that was the one of the uh, the ideas that they were kind of pulling on. Um, there's also that sort of magical girl aspect to it as well of uh, things like Sailor Moon, um, and it's, there's lots of references to other uh, pop-cultural um franchises that you would be familiar with. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the setup of it. You, you kind of work your way through um, and there's different sort of time periods as you're, as you're working through this thing. That's kind of the conceit that there's a there's sort of a time travel aspect to this game as you're sort of unravelling the history and learning more about the characters that you meet. Um, and there's 13 playable characters as you work your way through this game. So there's a lot of different perspectives and they all overlap and, and cross over and you get given different insights to the story as you play from different perspectives.
1: Yeah, it's it's what I'd almost like to describe as like a very fractured storytelling process and I'm I'm kind of curious about your experiences with this. So, um narratively, it's very non-linear and you have a lot of control as the the player in terms of what chapter you're going to jump into next, which character you're going to inhabit. There might be some slight gates in terms of like when you can unlock a character's story to start progressing, but you have a lot of freedom to kind of go here and there and it could all be a horrible mess because you've given so much freedom in terms of where and what you just watch in what part. And I'm I'm wondering how you felt about how that all came together and if it kind of created a coherent narrative.
0: Um, I think... It's more of an illusion of a lot of freedom than there actually is in this game, because the gating on what where you can progress and how far you can go, um, sort of gets you to bounce between the two different modes in the game. So there's the story mode; it's called Remembrance in this game, where you're basically trying to work out what the what the deal is, effectively, um, But it's sort of the you're running around in a world, the point and click adventure sort of version of it, and then between that you are jumping into a it's it's kind of like You know, you've seen this done in anime, I'm sure, where they're basically cutting back and forth between what's happened in the past, what's happening in the present, all of these things here, um, and you're moving into the battle. So basically, I played it pretty quickly um, because it was so so interesting, I just couldn't really put it down. and um, yeah, you, you kind of find that as you work through these different perspectives, you can say choose to play as you know one of the characters and go off in in this direction, or you might play as another one. Um, but the way I played it was mostly I would play a pick a character I wanted to learn the story of, and then play all the way through their story as far as I could go before I hit limit before they had to progress in some other aspect before i could move on and part of that could be yeah either doing a few battles in the in the real-time strategy mode when you're playing with the mechs um, or it could be you needed to progress in another character's story to a certain point before you could move on so it for me it didn't feel disjointed it actually felt like it was moving pretty um pretty cleverly through and you were given the right amount of choice um, but nothing too over the top and yeah as you said with that, it it could potentially have felt disjointed, but I think the real craft in the way that this story has been told is that it is it's really cleverly put together, and you know you revisit many of the same locations again and again and again. Um, you know, if you look at the number of screens in the game, if you think of it like a point and click game, there's probably maybe twenty screens that you actually visit like you know we're not 20, i was gonna say around 20 yeah there's probably only about that And but you're going back to those different places in different contexts and different times and different perspectives from different characters so you know when you visit all those different places again and again it's reused in a really clever way um and it just makes a, a lot of sense the way they've done it it just feels like a quite an innovative way to tell the story like this which could have very easily um been so confusing and like you know one of these games where you have to literally read the wiki in order to work out exactly what they were trying to work out here it's not that tricky to pick up what's going on and also there's like quite a bit of um you know there's there's like a whole separate mode where you can basically check the notes of what's happening um which may be really helpful if you haven't played for a little while and you wanted to come back to it you could go and read up on what has happened up to that point of the character's story it's like a little chronological unlocking mode of of each character. What
1: I really liked about it is there's also a currency that you earn from the battles that allow you to unlock entries in that mode. Um, And so there might be like a character that you're just like, who are you? What is your deal? You keep popping up in all these different character stories and they have a locked entry that might cost a certain amount of mystery points or whatever. And you know the first thing you're going to do is like buy that codex so that it can start unraveling the the kind of secrets behind who this character is. Um, I thought that was a really interesting way to make a codex kind of gamified and fun and worth digging through that. I don't think a lot of games think about. Um, Another thing that I really enjoyed about this game is like you said, there's sort of this illusion of choice with the narrative. It's like you might have four places that you can go at any point in the game, but those four places are kind of picked in a certain way that there will always be a new interesting revelation in each of those story beats that plays into one of the other four places you might be able to head at that point in time and gets you excited about what's coming next after that or has you asking questions in the narrative about what things could mean and i feel like that is such a hard thing to balance and achieve and i cannot believe this game has managed to do that and it's because it's such a narrative game we can't really talk about what some of those revelations are but just like everything felt like it paid off for me when i played this game and like you, I voraciously devoured it
0: within, like, a, a, a week. I just had to keep playing it until I finished it. I think the big thing to keep in mind is that, yeah, characters that appear in one player's perspective almost, you know, the next level you play they will be appearing in that other, in your perspective or, you know, as you shift around you get different um, ideas of what it was now there's this example that I can give um, which tells you about, you first start playing as Juro Karabe and then you start going through the world and some of the characters that you talk to there's a character called Tomi Kisaragi in this and she's, you know, one of your schoolmates Um, you go and walk over next to her in the uh, the classroom, the first classroom that you start in um, and if you stand next to her and kind of eavesdrop on a conversation, sort of the thing that you do in every single video game. She'll kind of stop and go, can I help you? Um, And when you eventually get to take over Tomy's perspective, Juro, the NPC character, comes over and just does that and just sort of stands there and then you, as the player character, acknowledge them and then they kind of wander off. And it's like, that was such a little thing, but I thought, wow, that is really clever about the way that people, they wanted people to do this particular thing. Just about everyone would have done it and they would have got that interaction when they played. And then they replicate it from the other perspective so you know you get to see these little pieces of the puzzle come together um and yeah you know because not everyone has the same information for every character that you're playing you get treated to different pieces of information you go oh hang on a second so that's what was happening in this particular thing which we were left on a on a cliffhanger at the end of the last little segment you know they all have these little to be continued things that pop up once you finish one of the story segments as well so yeah it is tricky to talk about this game because i think so much of it is spoilery, um, but it's a very, I would say that, you know, thematically there's a lot of references to um, those uh, 1980s Franchises that you would be familiar with. So there's a lot of that um, sort of high school drama um, that you would would have seen. There's a lot of Evangelion in it. There's things like um, sci-fi franchises that you would be referred to. They're also like referred to almost directly as well. They they talk about how there's a you know a, a popular franchise that started in 1977 that's still popular today. You know and things like that. And um, all of this stuff is sort of tied into that. And the way that they use that. Um, is really clever in the way that it sort of feels like it's just like oh tongue in cheek sort of referency ways but then it actually becomes more important as you move through the story because it actually makes more sense as to why those things were included. Yeah um, every, for the every reference is, so.
1: is integral to the story's plot, which is
0: kind of amazing, which is why we're not naming the references. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And what I think really helps with this game as well is that um one, it's got a, a really good soundtrack. Um it just is like that sort of um pumping energetic end-of-the-world sort of sci-fi battles, but it's, you know, interspersed with, um, you know, like pop idols singing and things like that as well. So it just feels like you're, you're playing through an anime series. Um, and the, the voice acting, and I, I play this game um, in English um, with subtitles, and um, it the voice acting in it is really good. Um, there's some really great examples um, where, you know, the characters just feel really interesting. Um, and even like when you're in the battle mode, once the character's kind of are a bit more familiar with themselves, um, they they kind of have this sort of banter back and forth, which is really funny. Um, it just feels like they've done an excellent job localising this game and kind of capturing some of the, the perspectives in this thing. So, yeah, it's just it's just there's just some genuinely funny bits in it. It's actually like a really interestingly well-taught story. If you're a, like a real lover of sci-fi stories as I am, <laughs> it gave me a lot um, to sort of mull over as I was playing this game. There are a lot of characters in 13 Sentinels and it's hard
1: for us to talk about them in depth because of spoilers. But are there any that stood out for you that you can
0: kind of vaguely refer to as to why you like those particular characters? Um, there are some some really ones, some ones I really like, which were, you know, they're taking some of those anime and manga trope characters and kind of um, you you understand why. So there's like a main character in there called Nenji Ogata, who is one of those like um, standard japanese anime high school drama bully dudes with a pompadour and everything like that it's set in because it's set in the 1980s um you know they can really pull on a lot of that feeling of what those sort of things that people would have read um and he turns out to be like quite a complex character when you look at him initially when you meet him the first few times he seems like this guy who's just like a bit of a bit of a punk kid and then you realize that he's a rich kid and then you know he's you know his story comes out but he actually is quite um he's got quite a interesting, complex relationship with the other characters as well, which really, I thought, subverted a lot of what you'd expect um, from that sort of character as well. But again, it sort of does also f- feed into that. I mean, Tomi Kisuragi is another character who's really excellent. Um, I mean, they're all excellent. They're actually just like, there's not a character I disliked in this game at all. They were all really, really good. Tomi is just like this sort of, um, you know, square head on her shoulders, um, just head down trying to work out the mystery, really self-driven. Um, not not prone to getting kind of like um, flustered by things and really passionate about her friends and very funny too and like really like sake and acerbic and things like that. So, you know, there's like the the, the Natsuno who is a, a character who loves science fiction and like is getting like excited when all the science fiction elements come into the world that, that she's in. You can't talk about aliens without seeing that movie. I don't really intend on talking about aliens anyway. Bet you're thinking... Here she goes about those UFOs again. <laughs> no, not at all. You'd be the same if you watched this. They're already here on Earth, you know. Yeah, they look like octopuses and want to destroy us all, right? No, no, no. You've got it all wrong. That's from a book. You're thinking of the War of the Worlds. <laughs> oh, not chan There's no stopping you once you get going on this stuff. Just watch. One of these days, I'll work for NASA and I'm going to find a real alien. You're going to have to get better grades in science then. Oh, man, you're right. Um, So many of these things. What about you, Adam? Oh,
1: look, this game's character cast is brilliant. I think you already highlighted Nenji Ogata, who I think for me was the standout character in terms of Growth and development and kind of seeing how far he went from being a one dimensional sort of bully character that was kind of the butt of jokes at the beginning of the game to really kind of working out who this person was and their complex relationships with the others was wonderful i thought uh i think it's kitara Mura is is great too i can't say anything about his character because it really just it's one of the first big revelations of the game when you realize what's going on with him um and that to me another fantastic character a very fish out of the pond sort of character who's like struggling to fit in um at the environment that he finds himself in that's about as vague as i can get um and also, shout outs to Fluffy, the cat that people keep seeing around the school. There's a lot more to Fluffy than I can say, but a very fantastic character that I was not anticipating to be in a game like this. Um, but every time they showed up, just kind of made scenes quite con- just weird and odd. And, and yeah, there's so many twists and turns in this game and so many great characters to sort of dig into. It's, it's, um, It's rare that I say this, but it's without a doubt one of my favorite visual novel sort of narrative experiences that I've played in a game in recent years. I think it's a real, real special one. And as you've said, the localization is really great. I think a lot of times games like this can have issues with localization or can translate poorly or or get lost. And considering this is such a dense, heady, completely outlandish sci-fi plot, that goes to some wild places, the fact that they pulled it all off and made it completely um, legible and understandable and and easy to follow without having to like rip open multiple wikis is a huge
0: achievement. I think as well, what it does excellently is that it's exactly the sort of story where you think at some point you're like, Oh, that guy's the bad guy or this person's the bad guy or what's going on here. And it just, it teases you enough so that you start to think, hang on a second, I know what's going on, and, then, and twists around. So, you know, as I said, this is probably quite a frustrating episode to listen to, but it is because it is such a, um, a story that relies upon you coming into this as cold as possible. Um, what we can talk about you know, in some detail is the, the real-time strategy aspect of the game um, where you basically take these giant robots that the 13 characters control and you fight on sort of waves of enemies and there's certain objectives and certain modes where you need to like take out a certain boss or something like that. Um, Adam, can you tell me, what, do you, what did you think about the real-time strategy aspect of playing uh, the, as the Sentinel and fighting in, a, in sort of mech battles in this game?
1: Mm, yeah, well, they were definitely a part of the game weren't they i mean that's that's a generous way to put it which is um i think it is an interesting experimental attempt at doing like tower defense essentially because the way that these these missions sort of structure themselves out is you're always defending like a control point and the enemies that you're fighting these giant mech kaiju that are invading um uh like 1980s tokyo basically um your fodder and so every character has a different class there's like four classes of mechs Different characters get a different class, but every character has different sort of abilities that they can access for their class of mech, which makes them pretty niche. So I just found that um, while there there is some potential depth there and you can upgrade your mechs and you can really hone in and specialize on particular characters, that at times it was a little bit grindy. Even though I was playing on normal difficulty, I felt that once I found a strategy that was really easy for me, it was more just a case of waiting out the timer and kind of getting through each mission that way. Um, and I I used a lot of kind of like sentinel kind of turret drones. Um, and yeah, just kind of like very defensive orientated play because it is kind of like a point defense really and found that that made things um, really kind of easy. Um, and then when you've got kind of some of the bruiser mechs as well that do massive amounts of damage, you can just sort of bounce a couple of those around the map while everyone else kind of defends. Um, and it became sort of like a process of almost every mission felt like it was accomplished using the same strategies so you know i don't think it's the high point of the game it's definitely nice to have in there and it's interesting because of what narrative revelations come out in that game mode as well there's a lot of story in there too and that kind of kept me going through those those battle missions but i really almost feel like this game would have been totally fine if it was just a complete visual novel i would have had the same good experience Um, but it was nice to bounce back and forth i don't think it was like the best version of like a tower defense real-time strategy sort of
0: experience that I played but I guess it was in here and it was fine so yeah I I played it on the easy easy mode the casual mode because I was like I just want to I'm really into this for the story and the the pieces of coming I love mech battles and things like that but I just don't want to be in a game where I know that I'm really grinding against this and you know playing it that way it was really kind of fun to just rack up ridiculous combos, effectively. Um, You kind of just get your characters together, put them into a position. So, for example, you Mm. might have, you know, one character that can do like a gravity bomb, which pulls all of your... Uh, the enemies in an area towards a certain point, and then you have a character which has got like a massive sniper railgun thing, and you'd kind of pull them to a point so they're all in one place and then blast them with the other character. So lining up a few of those things were really quite fun. Um, I, again, used a lot of the turrets as well. I found that, you know, as the first part of the the battle is starting and you're setting up your your, um, defenses, I had a couple of characters who were rotated through um, where they would just be throwing out shields on my team, dropping down... um, turrets for everyone, and then as soon as the, few, the first few enemies started appearing on the map, they'd be dropping down these, these basically lures that would, you know, um, draw the enemies towards a specific point. Um, but, you know, I did quite like the way that they do that, and what they do to balance that so that you're not always using the same characters every single time, is that there is a uh, you know a bonus mission story unlock that you can get for using specific characters and specific missions. It'll ask you to use a combination of a couple of characters, or you know maybe limits the number of characters as well. Um, you could use up to six in a battle if you wanted to, but some of them ask for you to just do four. So you're thinking about all right, what four characters can I use in order to achieve the task here? And while you're doing that, you're managing their um, fatigue effectively. So you know you can't use the same characters every single time. You can basically use them. Uh, twice um, in a row and then they need to sit a whole battle out in order to do that so balancing between which characters you're going to pick for each mission um, knowing that you want to make sure that you've kept a broad range of people around so that if the bonus objective ap- appears and you need to use a specific character you don't want that character to be on the bench at that point so that was quite fun it in the easy mode it was just like just a st- <laughs> you just stomped through there it never felt like I I don't think I like, my um my base my uh you know the the point that we're defending ever got damaged at all um the city barely ever gets damaged as well my mechs never got immobilised effectively um, but it was just fun to kind of blast your way through it. and then yeah use that as a way to sort of have that vehicle for the story as you as you're working through so. Pretty fun. I, you know, it's it's quite a simplistic um, uh, real-time strategy game. You know, your your mechs do appear in some abilities. You get to see what they look like in a three D render, but most of the time they just look like a little space invader, and most of the enemies just look like space invaders too. So, you know, that there is a reason for that um, when you when you play through the game. Um, but it is, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty fun, and I think it's an interesting way to tell the story with sort of um, interspersed action. And I just everything I think about this game, it comes back to it. it, it, it this game is a game that you play, which is a, a series, an anime series, effectively, and you're doing the interspersed action in between while the story's being delivered in cutaways and things like that. So that that's kind of how I framed it um, when I was thinking of that. Does that sort of sit about where you kind of came to as well absolutely your reference to the fact that the
1: art design for the battle mode has like a lore reference to it was something i did not think of but absolutely makes sense now that i know everything that i know about this game's narrative and i feel like my mind has just been blown again by how great this game is um yeah i mean like absolutely it's it's kind of like a nice palette cleanse, even though I wish it had more depth, um, but also I'm grateful for the battle system because that's where the most slapping parts of the soundtrack are in this game as well, and they're very good. Um, so I'm grateful
0: for that too. Um, what I would say this game is uh, it's set in a high school drama and just like a lot of anime series it's real thirsty um, it's a real horny game um, for like these teenagers who are kind of like working out who they are um, some of the fan servicey bits are a bit on the nose I found personally um, you're probably going to be able to get through it pretty easily it's not the worst I have ever ever seen in an anime series but it's kind of like some of these characters the way they've been designed you're like that is literally done either as a direct reference to something else that's happened in you know other media um, but you kind of look at it and you go, come on. Yeah, there, there
1: is one character who is on the track team and she is like a pro-gun athlete and it's like she is in the shortest running shorts I've ever seen. And I was just like, okay, Vanilla Wear, sure. If I didn't like this character so much and she wasn't complex and full of depth in a great story, I would have turned it off because I have a low bar for like kind of gross fan service-y stuff too. Um, and so when it does pop up, you're a little bit like, oh, but... I guess it's surrounded by so much interesting good stuff here. I mean, like we've barely touched in it, but one of these characters in the game is like a really fascinating representation of trans non-binary identity and is handled really well, particularly in the localization. And I just think is such a complex, interesting character. So to have that kind of alongside like the school nurse who is perhaps a little bit over sexualized, I think I can say that. Um just just a little bit, like maybe slightly oversexualized um is is it's almost a trade-off where i'm like fine i'll take it Um uh, i'm not happy about it but i've seen far worse um in other games like the persona series for example like i don't think it goes into like the sort of gross territories that some of the cutscenes in persona 5 royal did where i i just felt like the tone of the game completely shifted into another territory at times which made me a bit uncomfortable while playing that so yeah, take take that with a grain of salt and and be aware that if that sort of stuff does kind of bother you, it, it might bother you here as well. Yeah.
0: Um, but otherwise artwise I think it is a it's a a really pretty game to look at. As you said, it's like, you know, the character designs are quite cool. It has a really visual, like it actually reminds me a lot of the style that they use in um, some of the Final Fantasy Tactics games, for example, um, the way that the characters are designed sort of like almost like noseless faces that they do in some of these um, anime designs. Um, and uh, I would sort of think that, you know, that those aspects of it, if you even, you, you know, given it being as most generous, like part of it is probably just that this is being fan y but, you know, being generous with the story of what all the rest of the other aspects of it, there, there could be a law reason as to why particular characters are sort of focused on in that particular way, when you think of the age of the characters, of the people you're playing, so you know it's it's interesting to think about. There's some bits in it that sort of feel like when you recontextualize it with a bit more information as you go, you go, hmm, you know, maybe this isn't exactly right, but you know, for the few small um, issues that you might have with this game, I think it is. Um, it's mind-blowingly good in a, in, a, in a way that is um, such a complex story and really fascinating. You just be on the edge of your seat um, at the uh, as you play it. So Gianni. Who is Thirteen Sentinels Aegis Room for? If not like
1: the obvious answer is weebs out there that, that might like a game like this. And also I guess it's it's for me and you, I suppose, because we both had a good time. But who do you who do you think would really enjoy
0: um going into Thirteen Sentinels? Like uh, a story that you can Play episodically. Um, you know, someone who wants a little bit of something that you can get, you're always going to be at the edge of your seat as you play through this. It works brilliantly on the Switch because, you know, most people play the Switch in little bursts, um, especially for playing in the handheld mode. Um, so you can kind of play a little bit, half an hour, and you'll get a lot of really valuable um, story development and interesting stuff um, that comes out of this. It's for people who love um, 1990s and 19. 80s anime um, pop culture there's a lot of that in there as well Um, for people who love those really interesting um, sci-fi stories as well who just love speculative sci-fi stories as well it ticks a lot of the boxes in terms of things that you would um, you would like if you've played you know or watched other games set in sort of future worlds Um, and uh, also it's I think it's just something that's a bit different you know it might be something you probably wouldn't have played a huge amount of in the past. I know I've played a few, like I know a lot of point and click adventure games. That was my sort of era when I grew up. Um, But, you know, playing this sort of um, hybrid sort of point and click visual novel style game um, from a Japanese developer is not something that I'm super duper familiar with, but I was really intrigued um, with this. And I I have been left wanting more for this particular genre. What do you reckon?
1: I think I've never played an RPG or a narrative game quite like this. (laughs) I think it's utterly unique very interesting completely fascinating if you love science fiction and i mean all science fiction from like weird schlocky japanese references to like straight up big blockbuster western stuff from the 80s there is a reference here there is a touch point here for you that you did not see coming that you will find intriguing to see how it warps itself into this game's world i think it is unlike anything else I played, basically, and I think it's worth checking out just for that, just to experience something um, very different um, than what's really out there at the moment. So that's 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim by Vanillaware, published by SEGA and ATLAS. Thank you again to the publisher providing us with a copy of the game on Nintendo Switch for review.
0: It's time. I may be just a schoolgirl, but now I'm a schoolgirl with a giant robot.
1: Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream. This has been Mainstream by Sifter. It's what video games the Sifter team have been playing. Thanks again to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music and thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's three podcasts. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Kyle Paletto, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang and me, Adam Christu. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer and my co-host on the show this week. Gianni, where can listeners find you on the internet? Do they, If they want to get your hot takes,
0: they want to find out what you're up to, where can they find you? Discord, actually. Honestly, I think that's probably the best place to find me. I'm always in the Sifter Discord, and I'm posting um, screenshots and other bits and pieces from uh, um, games we've been playing, um, things we've got for review, um, and all of that sort of stuff. So that's really the place to do it, and you can see all the links and things that I post there um, as well because I spend too much time online. If you want to join the Sifter Discord, it's pretty easy. You can go to sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. Um and we've also got a cool thing where people share their creative work every week. Um, Basically we've got a bunch of creators as part of our discord. um, And each week people who are making games or they're making, you know, Warhammer models or they're doing 3d printing, all of that sort of stuff, they share it and we get to check out cool creative stuff. And each week we give them a shout out. So if that sounds like you, if you are making something and you want to share it and it can be in progress, it can be whatever. um, We just love the creative process come and join us on sifter.com.au forward slash discord. Um, while you're online as well, you should also give Sifter a follow on social media. Uh, we have uh, we're on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, you can find us on Twitch and YouTube as well. Um, the account you want to look for is at Sifter HQ. That's the account. So search for Sifter HQ on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, and all of your favourite social media platforms. Yeah, and we've also got multiple podcasts. Three, in fact.
1: One of them is called Lightmap. That's where we talk to game devs, creatives, people who are doing stuff in interactive media and kind of get an understanding of how they actually make these things. We've also got Walkthrough, which is our weekly recap of the biggest news in video games. We kind of go through everything there. Recent releases, things that have been happening in the worlds of game dev controversies, patch notes, all sorts of stuff happens in Walkthrough. So head to your podcast player and type in Sifter and give us a follow and you can get every episode of Lightmap, Walkthrough and mainstream for
0: free. Um, we've got a website as well where we post the long reviews of this. So if you happen to be listening to um, an episode of Mainstream and you want to see some pictures of the game, some of our thoughts um, on in written format, um, you can head to sifter.com.au um, where we'll put everything up. We'll also have all of our other information up there as well. So all of our interviews, all of our videos, um, all of our previews, all of that stuff, sifter.com.au. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend uh, who you think would enjoy it because that's really important um, for independent podcasts like us um, telling a friend that you think this is a cool thing that they might like that will make a big deal uh, to them. It'll also be really great uh, for, for supporting the team of independent journalists at SIFTA as well. Yeah,
1: And if you want to support us in another way, we have drip. I think that's the term that youngs use. I don't know. I'm getting old. I don't know what I'm talking about. We have merch. Uh, you can head to SIFTA.store to buy uh, really cool Australian made and designed video game shirts and support us that way as well so that's sifter.store if you want to yeah get some threads get some cool drip um you know rock out on on tiktok um as the number one fan if you will that's been mainstream for this week it has been a fun time as always gianni thank you again for joining me to talk about all things 13 sentinels aegis room until next time uh have fun go outside play some games all that good stuff
0: Forward slash Arcade for a 1 month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only. $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until canceled.